Okay. I, oh, it's my cold open. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting it's on. It's my cold open now. That's right. Hold on. I got props for You're it. You're the captain now. I got props. Hold on. Hold on. But only roadie, apparently. Today is a very special day because it is someone's birthday today. Is it roadie's birthday? It's roadie's birthday. Aww. Hey, 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 hey. So we have some treats. This a, I couldn't find a hat, so I have a mask that he can wear <laughs> as a hat. Hold on. Come here. He is not liking this. Okay. He's good. Go Ready? Ready? He's got okay. like a babushka bonnet. <laughs> he does look like a babushka. <laughs> so what I did was I took a surgical mask. <laughs> I put it over his I head. I put it over his head because I don't have a birthday hat because I don't He time. wants his fucking treat, Bethan. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Happy birthday to you. I would video this, but someone maybe turn my phone off. Happy birthday to you. It's for the audio sake. Happy birthday, dear Roro. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) (laughs) Please get a photo of his hat (laughs) before we start this. (laughs) Okay, we're back. That was amazing. That was my cool. Anyway. <laughs> that was it. I'm Bethan. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. So, I originally had a different artist plan for today. You're already going to know what I'm doing because obviously it's in the title of the episode, but uh, I was going to do someone else and I got a book from the library. I got two books in the library and I had all these ambitions to read them. And then the universe was just like, this is not who you're going to do this month. I just wasn't feeling it. And so I was thinking, who do I want to do? And I said, fuck it. It's my birthday. We're doing queen. That's right. It is also probably the most requested topic ever yeah at least once a month someone asks and we're doing queen so here you go this is my birthday present to you guys and then today two things happened that reinforced that queen was the right choice as does happen when we choose the right artists according to the universe and so i'll tell you what those are when we get to them without further ado queen i've been waiting for this one for almost two years of yeah. doing this podcast it's time i will say as we always preface with these huge bands there is no fucking way i can cover everything they did yeah. my outline's only 11 pages i cannot go into much of their personal lives there is just not time there is a lot to talk about okay so don't come yelling at me on social media when you're like eating cover this yeah i don't have time mm-hmm. you go write an 11 page outline on queen and see if you can include everything um i want to start this presentation with a tumblr screenshot that is one of my favorite posts i know a good episode's coming when it starts with a tumblr screenshot of all time this is from tumblr user brian may hyphen b <laughs> brian maybe Oh, that's uh, nice. And it says, God damn, like every member of Queen had enough raw talent to be the front man of their own band. And yet here they were all in a band together with fucking stratospheric levels of talent and creativity yeah. and passion. Like, I don't know how 
the earth just didn't immediately combust when Queen got together. That's a good point. And that's how I feel. Um, another thing I want to point out is one of the things that to me makes Queen so interesting is that they're all like hella educated and cultured. And this is what, like, the 15th band I've presented on this show. Yeah. And, like, 80% of the time, it's just, these guys were so passionate about music, they dropped out of school at 16 to form a band. And that's not the case here. Like, we're going to talk about how they got together in a minute, but they all met in college, and Brian May has a fucking PhD. Oh, yeah. Like, they're all geniuses. Um, Not to bash anyone who drops out of high school, but... I, I mean, I'm just going to make it clear that each kind of led a very privileged life that led them to get an education, but they did bring these influences that they picked up in their education into their music. And these other bands may not have had that exposure, but it's one of the things that really sets Queen apart. All right. Disclaimers aside, let us meet the boys. Uh, number one, Brian May, our guitarist. He's actually a virtuoso guitarist acclaimed by many many publications does that mean he's mastered the guitar yeah pretty much he's a genius like i don't understand how he does what he does right he taught himself uh, well how to play the guitar and um we'll we'll talk about in a second but he like has taught himself how to play a 12 string guitar i can't even comprehend a six string guitar most like 12 string like are we talking like like acoustic like like 12 string or he has a version of his guitar that has double necks one is six string one oh, is 12 oh so he can play whatever he wants on that one instrument oh geez and i don't understand how that works but it does um but no he's he's a genius um as a child he actually was trained in classical piano gives him that foundation that we know all pianists have mm-hmm. um but in 1963 a teenage brian may and his dad custom built what is now his signature red special which he purposely designed to have a ton of feedback and have that sound. Um, no other guitar really sounds like his red special. Right. And when they built the original, it was built with wood from an 18th century fireplace and was made up of household items such as mother of pearl buttons, some shelf edging and motorbike valve springs. Like, like let's just add on top of it, like engineer. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not like, you know, he's a classical pianist and now he's a virtuoso guitarist. Let's just make him a genius of how to actually build a guitar. And he made, I mean, it looks nice. Like, Look at uh, Les Paul's log. That thing was ugly. Yeah. And not exactly functional. Yes, this is like, what, 30 years later, 20 years later. So the guitar technology was there. But he made a red special in his garage with his dad. And that's like this is the, basically the guitar he still uses today. That's crazy. Obviously, it's had a lot of like facelift improvements. Sure. But the bones are the same. That's just insane. Um, so when they built the red special, he had already drawn up plans for his second guitar. But the red special was so successful that he had no need to build another guitar. And it just was his Why? Signature. Why even bother when you have perfected? You don't need to improve. Um, So in addition to using his homemade guitar, he actually prefers to use coins, specifically a sixpence, as a pick. Which I don't know if I like the way that metal feels on metal. I think I know why he's doing it. It's the control. The control, but also like, have you ever seen like a steel? Yeah. So I feel like it would give almost that kind of same effect to it. I guess. In a weird way of plucking it. That would be my analysis. I, the, the thought of putting a metal coin on metal strings oh, it's makes like me want nails to on like a chalkboard. scratch my eyeballs out. I don't 
like it makes my teeth hurt if that makes sense oh i feel that i don't like it um but but good for brian yeah um so like i said he can easily play a 12 string guitar and when he's touring he has a special double necked red special that he specifically uses during under pressure so he plays a 12 string guitar live this is not a studio thing yeah he's just doing this live uh he's also a fantastic singer himself from I don't every think I've ever heard him sing. Uh, from every album, from Queen 2 to The Game, he sings lead vocals on at least one song per album. Really? And during every show, he would sing uh, at least one song live. Freddie would just kind of step to the side and take a break. A little Dr. Brian May would go Aww. off and sing. He's adorable. I love Brian Grandpa. May. Grandpa. Grandpa Brian. Um, in 2000, this, this, this section where I'm introducing them, I'm also just going to give some random facts about each one because i don't have any other place to put them uh in 2007 he was awarded his phd in astrophysics from the imperial college in london for work that he started in 1971 little band got in his way so he never finished his dissertation well he was busy so he's taking a gap year yeah he took several gap years yeah it's okay Gap decade uh he did finish that work in 2007 his doctorate was done on studying the reflected light from interplanetary dust Jesus. and the velocity of the dust in the plane of the solar system. I only understand those words separately. Same, but I put that in there if someone understands it. <laughs> He's very smart. Um, another cool thing about Queen is they all kind of all four shared the songwriting credits. Like it wasn't there was never one main writer like Freddie didn't just write all the songs himself um so i've took this intro section to point out some songs that each one has written brian's songwriting credits include we will rock you tie your mother down i want it all fat bottom girls who wants to live forever and the show must go on that's just brian's writing credits that's crazy um i have nowhere else to put this but i had to put it in here uh you know lady gaga's you and i Mm -hmm. brian may is playing the guitar in that song and when I read this on Wikipedia, my brain melted a little bit. I couldn't process that information. And then I went one paragraph down mm-hmm. and my brain broke because he also at the Reading Festival in 2011, he got on stage and played Welcome to the Black Parade of My Chemical oh Romance my God. Live. <laughs> oh, why? Watch the video. It is incredible. Brian's having the time of his life. Gerard's having the time of his life. I love that so much. I also want to point out this YouTube comment (laughs) that just made me laugh so hard. A member of the original Bohemian Rhapsody playing the emo Bohemian Rhapsody. Awesome. May plus way. (laughs) May plus way. That's the name of a duo. May plus way. May plus way. Uh, Okay, so that's Brian. Intro to Brian. He has curly hair, if you don't know, and it's still magnificent, even in his 70s. Yes. Uh, Roger Taylor, our blonde drummer boy, he, when he was seven, he and his friends formed their first band, the Bubbling Over Boys. No. No. <laughs> He's seven. Change it. Change it. Uh, he played the ukulele in that band. Well, that's good. At the age of 15, he joined a new band called The Reaction. Better. A semi-professional rock band with some boys from his school. They they played covers. Yeah. What else did they play? He originally joined the band as the guitarist, but became a drummer when he realized he had a more natural aptitude for it. He taught himself the drums entirely. Like, he never formally studied. And he was inspired by Keith Moon of The Who, 
because of the great drum sounds on <laughs> early Who records. <laughs> I mean, he was something, all right. Drummers are a simple people. Yeah. Uh, in 1967, he moved to London to study dentistry at the London Hospital Medical College, but became bored. So he went to biology instead. <laughs> like I said, they're a bunch of smart boys. Yeah. His songwriting credits include Radio Gaga and Love With My Car, which is probably my least favorite Queen song. I hate that song. Yeah. One Vision and Under Pressure. John Deacon, our bass boy. He's known as Deaky to friends, Deaky. brandmates, and fans. Fans love to call this man Deaky. There is a whole Tumblr fandom dedicated to John Deacon. I could see it. They cannot handle the fact that the man has been hid from the public since the 90s. Yeah. They're not okay with it. Um, he hasn't like done anything at all. No, he retired. We'll get there. But he pretty much just said, I'm going to go live in my own life. Leave me alone. Yeah. Which I respect that. Uh, Deaky became interested in electronics and he would often read magazines, um, built his own small recording devices. He even modified a reel-to-reel tape deck to record music directly from the radio. So he Do these guys just like, they just sit down and are like, what am I going to do today? Yeah. I'm going to just invent this thing. John Deacon invented LimeWire before LimeWire. He's, <laughs> he's bootlegging music in the, six, <laughs> the 50s or 60s here. Yeah. Um, again, they're all geniuses. He joined his first band at 14 also played covers but he decided that it wasn't his thing yeah. so he left his bass at home when he went to college because he wanted to leave that life behind and look what happened we'll see how that plays out in a minute um he was really into motown and funk growing up and i think that that influence really shows in his bass lines that he wrote and in the songs that he wrote um, his songwriting credits include you're my best friend another one bites the dust and mm-hmm. i want to break free and then our boy Freddie Mercury. I, I'm telling you now, I'm not going to be able to go into his personal life much. But you're going to get a snippet here. One day, I promise you, I will come back and do a Freddie-specific episode. This is my consolation. He was born Farouk Balsara in Zanzibar, not in England like the other three. His family migrated to England in 1969, uh, which was very easy for them because Zanzibar was a British protectorate. So the family was already British citizens. Right. Uh, however, he spent most of his childhood in India with his mother and father's like extended family, where he began taking piano lessons at the age of seven. In 1954, when he was eight, he was sent to St. Peter's Boys School, a British-style boarding school in, in India. And while there, at the age of 12, he formed a school band called the Hectics, and they exclusively covered rock and roll artists, which was not a popular thing in India in the 50s, yeah. such as Cliff Cliff Richard and Little Richard. And in interviews since then, one of his former bandmates from that time says that the only music he listened to and played was Western pop music. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they recall that even from like when he started learning piano at age seven, he just could listen to a song once on the radio and then play it perfectly back. Yeah. So oh, gosh. The talent, the drips of these guys. I don't understand. Like I said, I don't know. Or like the Tumblr post said, I don't know how the world did not just explode with the pure talent of these four getting together. Uh, He actually studied graphic design in college and Hmm. is the one who designed the Queen crest and logo. That is Freddie's drawing. He has a four octave vocal range and it's almost unanimously agreed that he's the best singer in rock history. Correct. Uh, I love the other lead singers in the genre but they mostly just scream into a mic and right. hope that it sounds good 
looking at you, Mick Jagger. Yes. Because you can read music. Here's a visual representation shit. of his range. Like, I don't think you understand, like, that treble note is... I can't it's, even... I can't even sing that. It's one, two, three, four spaces above the triple clef. Yeah. Uh, his songwriting credits include Bohemian Rhapsody, Seven Seas of Rye, Killer Queen, Somebody to Love, Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, We Are the Champions, Bicycle Race, Don't Stop Me Now, and Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which uh, the Crazy Little Thing Called Love, he wrote that one in 10 minutes while in the bath at a hotel as a tribute to Elvis, who had passed two years before. Mm. He was just thinking about Elvis one day and was like... It has a very Elvis feel to it. Here's a song. da 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 I'm not going to do more of a copyright. <laughs> we will not hum it to save ourselves. Um, and when it came to showmanship, no one before or since has been able to command a crowd and hold it in the palm of their hand the way that Freddie could. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously had these like crazy costumes and outfits, um, but his main thing that he kept on stage throughout his whole career was a broken microphone stand, which was not done on purpose. Literally one day there were in the middle of a show and he went to go pick it up and the heavy bass just stayed on the ground and the mics and he just kept it and he just kept it and he's like i can use this and so he would use it as an air guitar and he'd like throw it around to the other boys and they kept it all right those are the four boys now let's get to the actual history of the band the year is 1967 and itty bitty baby brian may he's in college he formed a group called 1984. Yes. Like after Orson Welles? After the George Orwell book. I told you. These boys are nerds. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> uh, so he forms this band called 1984 in 1967, which is just weird. You just look to the future. Um, with some guy named Tim. Tim is not important. I don't know his last name. Tim it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Uh, he left that group very early on uh, to focus on his degree in physics and infrared astronomy. <laughs> oh, what the hell is infrared astronomy? Do you like shine an infrared light up and hope you figure it out? It has to do with the dust he was studying. Um, of course it does. The reason that he left 1984 was because he wanted a group that could write their own material. So Tim was just not cutting it. What's, Sorry. What's Tim? He's just playing Billy Holly. Buddy Holly? I guess. They were just playing covers. Or, I don't know. Sounds like they were not writing original material. Yeah. So he he and Tim leave 1984. I guess Tim's all right. Tim stays. Tim stays. They form the group Smile, and they post an ad looking for a singer. And so Roger Taylor, a young dental student, auditions and gets the job. So... They keep they play shows like like you do in college, just mm-hmm. in dorms and pubs and whatever. And they're all in West London. And Tim became friends with a student named Freddie Bolsara, who was studying fashion design at the time, eventually switching to graphic arts. And Freddie like immediately became a mega fan of Smile and started kind of stalking them. <laughs> he would show up to all their gigs and like stay after to talk to them and get to know the band yeah. and. Uh, one night he just point blank asked if he could be the lead singer <laughs> instead of Tim. But Tim was like, no, that's my job. Yeah. Um, but in 1970, Tim quit because his interests lied in soul and rock and bl- or rhythm and blues. And it clashed with the group's hard rock sound. Also, 
Tim was fed up with the lack of success the band was having. You know, sometimes you got to wonder if you're the issue, Tim. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. <laughs> um, I forgot this was in here. Okay. We've had some bad band names on this show. Tons. This one may be the winner. <laughs> so Tim leaves and forms the group. Humpy Bong. No, Tim! Why? The amount of self-control. It just took to say that without laughing. Um, but no! <laughs> one more time. That is Humpy Bong. <laughs> so, Tim. What is the logo? Someone, uh, uh, we I'm need not- to host a drawing contest for this. There's got they have a Wikipedia page. Please tell me it's the image in my mind. Um, eh, Google's not giving me anything. Uh, but he forms that with future former Bee Gees drummer. Oh, so that's neat. <laughs> poor Tim has this like quality of being around success, but never actually <laughs> being <laughs> successful. Sorry, Tim. Um. So, sorry about that. The, so then, Brian and Roger were like, okay, I guess Freddie can be in the band. Um, and they still need a bassist. So they find one of Roger's friends named Mike to be the bassist. And they're like, okay, we're a band now. Uh, we should probably rename ourselves because we're not really Smile anymore because we lost Tim. And so Freddie said that the uh, group should be named Queen. And then there's were like are you sure about that? And he said, it's wonderful, darling. The other people will love it. Oh, I can hear him saying it. And at the same time, he's like, you know, we're going over this whole image rebrand thing. I'm not going to be Freddie Bolsara anymore. I'm going to be Freddie Mercury, which is inspired by the line in a song he had written called My Fairy King, which says, Mother Mercury, look what you've done to me or look what they've done to me. And so these, the four boys, Brian, Roger, Freddie and Mike. Mike. <laughs> Which sounds wrong. Obviously, it's wrong. Uh, they were kind of doing a thing for like six months. Then Mike leaves. They bring in Barry. Barry lasts six months. Barry leaves. But on March 1st, 1971, the 50 years ago today. Really? This was universe sign number one. Holy shit. 50 years ago today, John Deacon joins the band. And thus, Queen is completed. And like for the first time ever on this show, the lineup is not going to change. These are our guys. That's nice. No one's leaving. Well, I mean, someone's leaving, but you know what's happening. If you don't know, go study something. Go watch Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Um, So as well as being a fantastic bassist, he's also really quiet and reserved, which is needed in this band with the other three crackheads. Correct. who need attention all the time. And he was really good with electronics, as we saw earlier, which would pay off in their studio time later. Um, so they're like, okay, this is our band now. We're going to go do something. And Brian calls up a friend at the studio where Smile would record and asked if he knew anywhere they could get some studio time. And as luck would have it, that guy that he called, I don't know his name, had just moved into a new studio in Wembley and they needed to test out their recording equipment. Mm -hmm. So they were like, hey, you can come. You got to come at really weird hours, like 11 p.m., 2 a.m. 
if you let us test out this equipment, you can do it for free. And they're like, great deal. We're broke. Yes. Um, the, <laughs> the studio had actually tried asking the kinks first because they were pretty well known at the time, but they couldn't get a hold of them. So they settled for queen instead. <laughs> and so in exchange for those tests, they got to do some, some studio time and they recorded five of their own songs. Liar. Keep yourself alive. Great King rat. The night comes down and Jesus in that studio time. They eventually would release Keep Yourself Alive as like their demo. It would be the one that they sent out yeah. to record labels. Um, and they they did okay with courting record labels really early on. They eventually did stri- get a kind of a deal with Trident Studios. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of the same deal where they could use the studio time in weird hours, but the other bigger artists got the prime recording yeah. spots. And so they're just like pulling graveyard shifts and weird stuff to make this album. But eventually they get it out and their self-titled debut album, Queen, comes out in July 1973. And it did okay. Like, Trades called it an above average debut, which in the world of debuts is a compliment. Yeah, that's a big compliment, especially like how a lot of first albums go nowhere. Yeah, yeah. They got some attention. They got a little bit of a tour out of it. Like, yeah. it was fine. So they, that came out in July. In August, they go back into the studio to record Queen 2. Queen 2. But this time, they get to record during normal people hours. Wow. <laughs> now, that's that's the upgrade. That is the upgrade. Uh, in January 1974, they played the Sunbury Pop Festival in Australia, where the audience just gave them hell. They jeered and taunted and really pissed off Freddie. And Why? so, because as we've learned, people cannot respect greatness when it is in front of them. That's <laughs> I mean, it's true. Uh, and so before leaving the stage that night, Freddie ran out and said, when we come back to Australia, Queen will be the biggest band in the world. And they were. He was right. Like he always is. Suck it, Australia. Uh, So let us not forget, Queen 1 came out in July 1973. Mm. Queen 2 comes out in March 1974. No chill. Because it's the 70s. And that cover, you will recognize it. It features one of Mick Rock, who is an amazing, iconic rock photographer in himself. But this is one of his most iconic photographs. It is the four of them, hands across their chests. Yeah. It was what later inspired the Bohemian Rhapsody music video. Um, That is the Queen 2 album cover. So that's 1974. Or 19... Yeah, that's March 1974. Fall 1974, they released Sheer Heart Attack. Holy cow. Because it's the 70s. Uh, This hit number two in the UK. And they kind of start like going places now. It's their first taste of success. Um, I love Queen 1 and 2 for what they are. But they're definitely a different sound. They're not as... They're very experimental. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody is experimental. Queen 2 is, like, about a rat king and fairies and ogres. So it's Great Mouse Detective with Radigan. Pretty much. Gotcha. Um, It was not going to do well commercially. I think they knew that. But Sheer Heart Attack, they kind of, like, find their groove. And it takes off. Um, My favorite thing about this album... Is that obviously it came out on vinyl. Mm-hmm. So I need, I need to pull it up. When you flipped it over, this was the B side. Make sure my volume's up. 
first off <laughs> first off that's roger Ooh, that's roger singing that <laughs> okay first off fuck you pal for having that good of a high falsetto <laughs> second off god damn there's a, one of my other favorite tumblr posts that says can you imagine flipping over sheer heart attack for the first time and you just hear roger screaming <laughs> and then the comment underneath that is that is just says that's why they called it sheer heart attack <laughs> um so yeah my favorite piece of trivia about this album is that when you flip over to the b-side it just starts with roger screaming at the beginning of in the lap of the gods it's a beautiful scream. he's actually got a good high falsetto he has an amazing falsetto a lot of times when they're doing those layered harmonies the upper is not freddie it's roger yeah that's incredible <laughs> again oh freaking talented um so they like i said they hit number two which they're doing pretty good for themselves um but they're still getting paid the same as the trident deal for some reason which means they're fucking broke yeah they have no money um they're starting to try to buy houses and property at this point and they're all getting denied even though they like have money and have success the record label has it all so they end up um hiring a lawyer named jim beach who freddie always called miami oh that's cute to help them get out of that contract um and at the same time they start looking for a new manager and they hire john reed who is also elton john's manager yeah that's where i know that name also a piece of shit to everybody involved in this yeah. equation wait is john reed elton's i should know this because i did the episode but as well guys john it- reed the the lover for a while yes okay yep yep so if you go to his side tangent if you go to john reed's wiki there is nothing there except basically uh he suddenly stopped working for elton john at this at whatever date he suddenly stopped working for queen at whatever date similar situation um with freddie and then he he like screwed over two more bands and that's like his whole wikipedia page Um, imagine being that much of a piece of shit i know he basically he was an okay manager but a piece of shit human yeah um so at their first meeting with between queen and john reed reed said i'll take care of the business and you make the best record you can so they set out and made a night at the opera which releases in 1975 at the time it was the most expensive album ever produced are you serious cost forty thousand pounds Used three different studios. Uh, but don't worry. They make their money back, obviously. Yeah, and more. And um, because this is the appropriate place to talk about it, let's talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. The band actually recorded this in pieces because no one but Freddie knew how the hell it was supposed to all go together. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of mishmashed it in a way? Yes, yeah, so they would record it in sections. And at one point... Freddie just told the sound techs to just leave 30 seconds blank on the tape because this is where the operatic section yes. comes in. That's like an actual quote um, that he did. And they were like, operat- what? what? And so they did. They recorded like the other pieces around it on the tape. Um, they left 30 seconds blank. And then they did 180 overdubs to get the operatic section. Holy shit. To the point where the original tape wore so thin they didn't know if they'd be able to, like, use it. How do you even get 180 dubs of vocals? I, what don't I would like know. to know. I don't know. 
Um, we know, we all know, it was considered way too long for radio, and so the label refused to promote it. They were like, no, you should release In Love With My Car, and they're, even, I feel like even Roger was like, are you sure, bro? Like, I know that's my song, but I think you may be wrong. And so, the way they get around this is Freddie gives a copy of the single to a DJ friend and says, do not play this on air. So what does the DJ guy do? Play it on air. Plays it 12 times in one weekend, and the station is flooded with calls asking when the single's coming out, where they can buy it, uh, and EMI had to eat their words. Yeah. It stayed number one on the charts for nine weeks. It is the third best-selling single of all time in the UK, surpassed only by Band-Aids' Do They Know It's Christmas. And Elton John's Candle in the Wind 1997 release. Oh, yeah. Candle in the Wind knocked over some... I mean, that that, that was a juggernaut. The Brits know what what's up. Yeah. We'll forgive you for Band-Aid for the other two. <laughs> I'm forced to hear in CBS every <laughs> fucking year. <laughs> um, they were scheduled to make a top of the pops appearance uh, on this touring schedule. Yeah. But it interfered with, I think they were going to be in the U.S. at the time. So obviously they didn't really want to pop back over just for that. And they hated being on top of the pops anyway because you had to mime everything. And they were like, how are we going to mime this song for six minutes? Yeah. So they made the first music video. Wait, really? Yes. They made this music video seven years before MTV started airing music videos. Dude, I never thought about that. I didn't either. Because I always think of, well, the first music video has to be a uh, video killed the radio star. Nope. Because that was the first video played on MTV. Nope. Queen I said, didn't even think about it from a Queen perspective. The Queen was doing it early on. Queen said, we're tired of miming on TV. We don't like it anyway. We're going to go be on tour have this instead that's genius and so they took that image uh, the queen two cover of the four of them like illuminated you know you know what it is um and then they turned that into a whole concept for a seven minute video uh the guardian at one point came out with uh, a list of 50 key rock event 50 key events in rock history and this video was ranked 31 wow so it's pretty high up there one day i'm gonna do an episode on all 50 but Pin that fun. for later. Um, so we're just going to fly through the next couple albums because there's a lot. Um, so Night at the Opera comes out in 1975. Day at the Races comes back in 1976. In 1977, they release News of the World, which has We Are the Champions and We Will Rock You on the same album. 1978, they drop Jazz. And in 1979, they drop their first live album, Killers. That's a lot. It's a lot. They are nonstop. So then we hit 1980. They released The Game. And because it's now the 80s, what do we have? David Bowie. Synthesizers. <laughs> the Moog. Um, so they just use synthesizers on this album because um they got a lot of shit for using synthesizers it was obviously it was, it was 80 yeah it was very very early um so every album after this in the liner notes distinctively says no synthesizers <laughs> on a sleeve note because of the um the like the, the shit they got for it and so it was it's later been revealed by their producer roy thomas baker 
to clarify that some of the sounds that people think are synthesizers on their albums are actually just like multi-layered guitar solos yeah like just experimental stuff in the studio only one album has synthesizers but if you look on google you can find like the original liner notes it'll be like you know thank you to da, 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 produced at the studio no synthesizers <laughs> I appreciate big letters. No synthesizers. I appreciate the pettiness that goes into this. Um, after attending a Queen concert in LA, Michael Jackson suggested to Freddie backstage that they needed to release another one bites the dust as their next single because, and I quote, Freddie, you need a song. The cats can dance to. (laughs) I love that. Michael Jackson's interacting with Freddie Mercury. They were bros. They really wanted to record with Michael Jackson, but it just never happened. Yeah, that's. So, I mean, that's just crazy because, like, even though I know they're in the same timeline, you just never think about it. Yeah, you think of them in Bowie, but you don't yeah. think of them in Michael Jackson. Um, Michael Jackson was right. They did release that as their next single, and it spent three weeks straight at number one and sold over a million copies in the U.S. So they're doing pretty good. Also in 1980, they released the soundtrack for Flash Gordon confession i have never listened to the soundtrack for flash gordon because i know how much hate it gets mm-hmm. i'm okay with this i think um around this time they work with david bowie on the 1981 single under pressure this was actually like really spontaneous literally one day they just happened to be in the same studio and they just saw each other and they're like you want to record a song together okay i love that and that's how that song was born um, also in 1981, they released their first Greatest Hits album. You probably know what this cover looks like without even ever seeing it. It's navy blue with a gold queen crest on it. It says Greatest Hits. Yep. Um, and it is the best-selling album in UK chart history. As of August 2020, it has spent over 900 weeks in the UK album chart. Holy shit. They really love that album. <laughs> it's believed that one in every three British families has a copy. <laughs> Now that's an info commercial waiting to happen. I was trying to think of like an American equivalent to that. I got nothing. No. There is no album we love that much. No. Now food, I mean, one in three Americans guarantee you have some hot dogs in their fridge or something Probably, like that. but no, no, they love, Brits love Queen. This is one of the rare times that a British band has been beloved by the country. It's, it's rarity, but it's there. You guys, Def Leppard. Um, in 1982, they released Hot Space, which is one of the most divisive Queen albums out there. Uh, it's very 80s. It sounds way different than their other stuff. Yeah. Uh, it it's I feel like it's a very John Deacon influenced album because it's very like funky and rhythm and bluesy. It's got some like pop dance stuff happening. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite, but it's all right the artist great um and then they stopped touring in north america after this tour because america is just like eh, yeah we don't like you anymore uh which i'll tell you why in a second so they they didn't want to tour anymore but they would still perform on snl on september 25th that year and it became their final public performance in north america before freddie died and you want to know why because america's homophobic guys this is what happens 
when you treat people like shit. Yeah. Um, so the fall, the fall in popularity in the U.S. was attributed to Freddie being openly gay, um, and also, oh, we're not even there yet. Never mind. Pretty much just Freddie being gay. There's also the I want to break free video scandal, but that hasn't even happened yet. That's probably why they never came back here. Yeah. Americans are terrible. Yeah. Um, but during that last tour, or one of the last tours on the in 1980. Fans would toss disposable razor blades. They'd throw stuff at Freddie. Why the fuck are you buying a concert ticket if you're just going to go there and throw shit at the artist? Well, first off, he just got money from you being a little piece of shit. Yeah. So think about that. But also, like, there is better stuff you can do with your money. If you Correct. don't like the artist, don't go to their show. Yeah, just don't be an asshole. Um, you don't see me going to Limp Bizkit show now, do you? We, we'll sit here and trash talk him all day, but I'm not giving him my money. No. Um... So, yeah, they didn't. Americans did not like a brazenly gay rock and roll hero. And they wanted him to not be gay. Then they would be okay with it, which is. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. You know. So, thanks, America. You ruined that for us. There's a lot of things we have ruined. <laughs> There's a lot of things we have ruined, but we don't have the scheduling time to go over them yes and i there have some thoughts on this but i'm gonna uh, there's i'm only halfway done so i gotcha we can say that for the freddy episode so at this point they have been working and touring for a decade straight pretty much dropping an album every year to six months for 10 years and they just decide you know what we're tired <laughs> we're not gonna do any live shows in 1983 yeah which i respect Need Take a break. a break. Take that sabbatical. Uh, two or three of them did some solo stuff during this time. Um, it's kind of cute because like they helped each other out with their solo albums, but mm-hmm. they still did solo stuff. Um, but that year was good for them. And in 1984, they come back and released The Works, which is their 11th studio album. Jeez. In 11 years. This one has Radio Gaga, Hammer to Fall, and I Want to Break Free. And this is where America really drops the ball. So have you seen the video for I Want to Break Free? Yes. It's the cross-dressing video. And America did not like it. It got banned from MTV. Uh, it got like so much hate over here because of the way we are and the stupidity. Which is kind of, if you think about it, isn't like the history of theater is men cross-dressing? Yes! And now we have a problem with it? Yes. So the video was supposed to be a parody of a British soap opera called Coronation Street, which is the most British sounding soap opera yeah. ever. Um, and the UK loved it. It went triple platinum, the video did, and it remained in the album charts for, for two years. But America was like, they're wearing ladies clothing. We can't have this on our TV. And I'm like, that makes no sense, but whatever. The best part of the whole thing is their whole issues with, with Freddie, right? Because he's the gay one. It's obviously yeah. his idea. No, it's Roger Taylor's idea because he thought it'd be funny. <laughs> Way to go, Roger. He Making said, America upset. He said, we've done a lot of really serious epic videos in the past and thought we'd just have some fun. We it's a great video. I love that video. It's hilarious. I actually am thinking about going as Freddie's character for Halloween. Yes. If we need to do things this year. Um they just wanted to have a laugh and be fun. And if you look at the behind the scenes of that making of that video, they were having the time of their lives. Yeah. Um, They're enjoying it. So thanks America. Sometimes we're just that person that needs to be shushed and like, let, let them have nice things. Yes. That's, that's awesome. We need to allow people to have nice things sometimes. Exactly. 
Uh, so the year turns to be 1985. They play a, a small concert called Rock in Rio, which mm-hmm. was actually Queen was one of the first uh, Western music bands to play in South America because at the time it was a very tumultuous time for South America. They weren't yeah. really inviting foreigners to sing. Um, and if you listen to the version of love of my life that they put in bohemian rhapsody mm-hmm. that was filmed at rock and rio gotcha and i still get chills every time i listen to it because when they it, i mean it's a scene from the movie but it's a true part of the scene is they didn't know how they'd be recepted when they went to south america yeah they didn't know if they could speak english if they understood what they were saying on the stage and they get out there and the whole crowd of like i don't know like sixty thousand people start singing along with love of my life and like freddie was awestruck like he couldn't believe that this many people knew their songs because they still don't really realize how famous they are at this point yeah um i feel like they still don't feel don't realize how famous they are because they're just adorable but so that you know they started the year with rock and rio and then live aid happens in the same year wow uh which I hope you guys listening have seen the Live Aid performance. If not, turn us off. Go watch Please Queen's do. Live Aid performance and then come back. Uh, Live Aid was a big deal. I mean, anyone who was anyone was there performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not just like in the UK. It was in the United States. It, it was, was like three stages, yeah. three or four stages. It went all day. We need to do something like this again. I've been saying this for years. Yes. Um, Especially when concerts, outdoor concerts come back, yes. which is rumored summer. I would go stand in the heat and almost die to see this. But yes, Queen is pretty much considered the highlight of the whole affair across all the stages that day. It's pretty much 30 minutes of the perfect concert in history. Um, when Freddie does that first, Ayo, during the mm-hmm. call and response, it's been it's now known as the note heard around the world. It is the iconic image from Live Aid. Yeah. Um, and they they were popular before live aid but their record sales were struggling right they weren't they had lost their momentum the u.s was treating them like shit um had they had had a small breakup or a hiatus no they they just took that one year to like the movie live vibe and do their own thing the movie we'll get to that in a minute uh movie plays up a lot it's also chronologically out of order Mm -hmm. that he didn't know he had aids at this point um which I don't like that they did that in the movie. They like made it that like they, he knew it made it look like he knew he didn't know at Live Aid. As far as I'm aware, after doing a lot of research, yeah. um, but so they're they're not doing great. But that moment in time, Roger Taylor calls it a shot in the arm. Like literally the next day, everyone was sold out of Queen Records. Pretty much how it happened. Um, and they were like, okay, let's let's ride this wave. Let's do another album. Um, so they end the year of Rock and Rio and Live Aid mm-hmm. with releasing a single called One Vision, which I love this song for two reasons, three reasons. One is it's just so 80s. Yeah. The song is just, it's, che- it's, it's a little bit on the cheesy side. It's got that like very 80s vibe. Number two is because it ends with fried chicken. <laughs> because at the time, Freddie's boyfriend, Jim kept saying whenever you're singing that song it sounds like you're saying fried chicken and so for the very last verse uh, version of the verse when he's closing it freddie like snuck that in there as like a little tribute to jim oh that's nice but it caused a lot of like confusion because everyone was like is he saying fried chicken 
No, he's saying one vision. I think he's saying fried chicken. He's saying fried chicken. And the third is because of one of my favorite queen videos of all time, which I'm hoping that Beth Ann can put in here because it, it's not copyrighted from what I know. say two shits done Deacon he says one dump two turds uh two one one dump one turd two tits John Deacon <laughs> I love it uh he would often just goof just off do it to just just to get some laughs you can see Brian in the video yeah he's dying. cracking up uh the cute thing about this specific video is that's the first scene where he obviously sings the wrong lyrics and Freddie has on this like white button up and John has on this like weird 80s pattern button up. Yeah. And this is a snippet from a documentary about making this this album. And then the next shot, they've changed shirts. Uh, Freddie has on the pattern shirt and John has on the, oh, the white button up. I so love that. There's lots of like cute little photos where they would just share clothes like from yeah. one uh, shoot to the other. Because they're all like skinny 70s boys. Um, so yeah, that that's one vision. Th- that's, that's really awesome. all there is to say about that. Uh, I think about that video daily. You know that TikTok that's like, what's a video that lives in rent free in your yeah. head? That is the video that lives rent free in my head. Um, in 1986, uh, Queen did go on their final tour with Freddie. Aptly named the Magic Tour. Highlights oh. of this show included... Two back-to-back sold-out shows at Wembley Stadium. They tried to add a third night, but they couldn't due to some booking conflict, I guess. Um, so they ended up booking Nebworth Park, which is nearby. Yeah. Uh, the show, that third show, sold out within two hours. And 120,000 people packed the park for wow. what would be their final performance, the Freddie Mercury. Mm. In 1988, they continued to work on solo projects. In 1989... They released the miracle, which is seen, which is seen as the like artistic sequel to the works. It's very much yeah. like the sister album to it. Um, everything's kind of written in a very similar musical style. Um, so around this time, people started noticing that Freddie was getting like really skinny and gaunt and really pale, uh, and the media, being the media, were like, uh, "He's seriously ill with AIDS," and. They were like, no, he's just exhausted. He's worked really hard for a really long time. Um, he's been doing this for half of his life. He's 42 at the time. He's mm-hmm. been hella busy for 20 years. Um, but he's too busy to provide interviews. We now know that he was HIV positive, but he he didn't ever want to publicly announce his condition, partially because of the stigma that came with it, Yeah. partially because he wanted to just live his private life. Right. And keep it with his close friends um so he continues to work because he knows he knows he's dying and he knows he's not gonna be around forever so they record all of the miracle in 1989 with with freddie they continue recording with innuendo in 1991 he gets continually sicker and sicker um but around the same time they end their contract with Capitol records and this is very weird they sign with hollywood records which means through that deal, Disney acquired the North American distribution rights to Queen's catalog hmm. and still has those rights today. Interesting. 
Not and doing I anything with it. Did not know that. Done a damn I mean, thing with it. It's really hard to get distribution and licensing rights to Queen songs. They are incredibly picky yeah. about what they put their license on. Yeah. Fair enough. And I've heard it's very expensive, but did not know Disney owned the rights. Yeah. Um, early 1991, they release Innuendo, which includes The Show Must Go On, which further fuels the rumors that Freddy's dying. But they still have not made a public statement about it. Um, he actually was getting so sick around this time. He could barely even walk um, when the band recorded The Show Must Go On. And Brian was like, hey, you know, if you're too sick to, to do this, like, we don't have to do this. And he said um, that... Freddie just walked into the studio that day and just completely killed it. Like that song is you and you listen to the studio recording, it's it's haunting how like resonating this the song is. Yeah. Um and so the rest of the band kind of just stayed ready to record anytime that Freddie felt up to it. Um it was usually just for like an hour or two at a time. And it, Brian said anytime that Freddie would come into the studio, he would just say, write me more, write me more stuff. I want to sing this and you can finish it when I'm gone. Um, wow. I just want to get as much done as I can. Wow. And so on November 23rd, 1991, there's a prepared statement released that says Freddie Mercury confirms that he has AIDS and Freddie sadly passed away within 24 hours of that statement from pneumonia that was brought on as a complication. Jeez. As always does happens when artists die queen's popularity uh posthumously of freddie like skyrocketed everyone went out and bought queen albums yeah. uh around this time wayne's world came out with bohemian rhapsody that came out in 92 he passed in 91 um that just like hit astronomical levels of success for them um and so the band the band knew this was coming and they kind of had planned what would happen after Freddie left and they decided they wanted to hold a tribute concert to raise money for AIDS research because yeah. what do you do when you have, when you're friends with all the biggest artists in the world and you have access to a lot of money, you want to make a change. So they do. And so on the 20th of April, 1992, they have this tribute concert in Wembley stadium and they had 72,000 people there. I don't know if they televised it, but it was recorded. So like you can watch it. If you've not watched it, you should watch it. It is fantastic. It is like the biggest celebration of life moment. You have Def Leppard, Robert Plant, Roger Daltrey, Guns N' Roses, Elton John, David Bowie, George Michael, uh, Seal, Metallica. Wow. The surviving members of Queen with John Deacon and Spike Edney, who was their touring uh, keyboardist. Mm -hmm. And they just, it. yes, it was a sad occasion, but they made it like this big party celebration of life like yeah. you can tell everyone's all the artists that are there grew up being inspired by queen and so just getting to play with roger and um brian and john they're just like in awe it's it's really awesome to watch uh the concert actually broke a guinness book of world record 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 guinness world record mm -hmm. as the largest rock star benefit concert Okay, it was televised to over 1.2 billion viewers worldwide and raised two, nope, oh, that is a 20, 20 million pounds for AIDS charities. That's crazy. It's just crazy, like, you know, there's a new document, not documentary, a show came out on HBO Max. I don't know if you've seen it. I can't think of the name of it. It's like Born a Sin or something like that. 
talking about AIDS. Yeah. And just <clears throat> the stereotypes that just went around with mm-hmm. it, the a- absolute like ostracization. For no fucking reason. No reason at all. And once again, I don't know how it is in other countries, but in America, do we apologize for it? No. No. Fuck we do nothing Reagan. to help with it. <sighs> Ruining it. The 80s were a very strange time. Yes. Um. So, yes, they raise a bunch of money for AIDS, AIDS foundations. Uh, They release... Bleh. Queen released the last album made with Freddie aptly titled made in heaven in 1995 which was actually four years after his death it features songs such as too much love will kill you and heaven for everyone they kind of piece this together from those final recordings in 1991 some material left over from previous studio albums and they were able to rework some material that freddie had worked on from brian um roger and freddie's own solo albums yeah. The saddest, most heartbreaking part of this whole album is the song Mother Love. It's the last vocal recording that Freddie ever made. Um, and he completed it using a drum machine or I don't know who he's supposed to be in the sentence. Someone, uh, the band completed it using a drum machine over which Brian, Roger and John would add an instrumental track. Mm-hmm. So Freddie recorded all up until the next to last verse. And then that day he told the band that he wasn't feeling great and said he'd finish it when he came back next time. But he never came back. And so Brian recorded the final verse. Wow. And like, I can only listen to that song sometimes. Yeah. Um, Both of the, both uh, stages of the recording of this album before and after Freddie died were completed at the band studio that they owned in Montreux, Switzerland. And that year that the album came out, is that the year the album came out? The year after the album came out, um, there's the famous statue of Freddie Mercury was unveiled and looking over the lake that uh, he would look out of, look out onto every day when he was recording. Um, that statue has kind of become like this pilgrimage for queen fans they, mm-hmm. every year in november there's like a celebration of freddie's life and people leave flowers and mementos at the statue and it's it's super sweet so what happens to the band after freddie tragically died well and for the next couple of years they kind of just like they do the charity thing mm-hmm. they'll come back occasionally the three of them with um like guests on vocals uh the first couple times elton john actually sang their vocals that's nice and elton was the one who is responsible for like keeping them going he's like you guys should really keep this going like it's what freddie would have wanted yeah his band was his life uh you guys should keep going but around this time in 1997 john decided that he was done with the public life he just wanted to go live his life in peace yeah and so he leaves the band there was no like ill will. He literally just wanted he just to go wanted be a hermit. He just wanted to find, you know, get some time in where he can chill. It it is said that he took Freddie's death really hard and he didn't want to do it without Freddie, which yeah. I also respect. Um so this is when they started billing themselves as Queen plus whoever's singing with them. Um so they they went through like I don't want to say like six or seven different guest singers throughout mm-hmm. this time. 
Um, one most one of the most notable ones would be Robbie Williams. Who, I didn't realize this. Robbie Williams from Strange Days. Yes, Queen plus Robbie Williams recorded a special version of We Are the Champions for the soundtrack of A Knight's Tale in 2001. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I need to go watch A Knight's Tale again, apparently. Yeah. Also, the weirdest thing in this whole outline came out around this time. EA Games, in 1998, released the computer game Queen the I. And that is spelled lowercase e, capital Y, lowercase e. This game is... I don't know how to describe this game to you. I really don't. I watched a three... Or I like skipped through a three-hour-long playthrough on yeah. YouTube. I still don't understand it. It basically looks like Metroid. Why? I don't know. So, so it's like it's like Journey with Herb. No, this is it has nothing to do with Queen other than they wrote the soundtrack. I'm going to read you the description because I've read this three times and I still don't really yeah. understand the point. The game is set in the future where the world is ruled by an all-seeing machine called the Eye, which is a rat at everything that promotes creative expression. The player takes the role of Dubrock, the secret agent of the Eye, who is in the course of his duties, has rediscovered the database of popular rock music and is sentenced to death in The Arena, a live television show broadcast through satellites in the world in which the contestants battle fighting arena champions called The Watchers. From there, Dubrock goes on a quest to destroy the Eye. Many elements of this story were adapted into the Queen musical We Will Rock You. That's all the information I have on this game. Yeah, isn't that Bohemian Rhapsody? The, the plot of it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Hunger Games? Yeah. Um, basically, in this playthrough, the person playing also has no idea what they're doing. All the comments, my favorite comment said, I remember downloading this game. I remember installing this game. I remember opening this game. I then remember deleting this game. <laughs> it got terrible reviews. Yeah. It also has, so it was released in 98, but it has the graphics of like 1994. That's bad. So it was already really outdated when they released it. Yeah. And I don't know who possessed someone at EA to just make this. I don't understand. Yeah, it's weird. This combo. is relevant. Pin that for later, though. That's why I left it in here. Uh, so like I said, they eventually adapted that story into We Will Rock You, the stage musical. I had no idea this was the plot of We Will Rock You. I've only ever just listened to the soundtrack. Yeah. I don't understand that either. So I need to go watch the show when it comes back. Um, the mu- the musical obviously debuted in London's West End because they're British. Mm. Um, but it was written by British comedian and author Brent Ben Elton with consultation with Brian May and Roger Taylor, but produced by Robert De Niro. And those were two very weird side tangents, but I felt like the world needed to know. Oh, yeah, they're important. Um, so let's let's skip forward to 2004. Brian and Roger decided we're going to reunite and tour with Paul Rogers, who kind of had this reputation of sounding similar to Freddie. He wasn't Freddie. Yeah. He was, he was pretty good. I really don't have anything to say about him other than they worked with him from 2004 to 2009. They split up. It was an amicable split. Everyone just did their own thing. Yeah. But the thing that caught, I don't think I want to say it caused him to split. The thing that happened simultaneously to their split in 2009 is Roger and Brian went on the finale of American Idol to perform We Are the Champions with Chris Allen and runner-up Adam Lambert providing the That's vocals. right. I remember watching that. 
Yeah, that was like the last season of American Idol I watched. Yeah, same. I forgot about that. I was pissed when Adam didn't win. Adam should have won. Adam's, you know well, what? Adam's famous now. The people who got runner-up on that show end up being more famous, with the exception of Kelly Clarkson, Yeah, than the winner. It's true. Carrie Underwood did not win her season. I thought she won her season. Did she win her season? I thought she won her season. But you're absolutely right. Like, the runner-ups always got more famous. I don't know. I'm looking... And I think Adam didn't win because he was openly gay. I think it was completely pinned against him. Oh, yeah. We don't. Because he's the better singer. He's the better singer. Okay. Carrie did win her season. I thought so. But still, like, the principle still stands. Like Most of the time on that show, it's not the winner. Think of, like, famous. how much of an icon Adam Lambert is now. I love Adam Lambert. He's so freaking talented. He is. Um, so they met on that show. And then that was 2009. Things are still kind of quiet. And in May 2011... Jane's addiction vocalist, Perry Farrell, mm-hmm. tweeted, uh, I think he tweeted, he made some kind of announcement, it's 2011, he probably tweeted, uh, that Queen was currently scouting their once former and current live bassist, Chris Chaney, to join the band, and Perry was like, I have to keep Chris away from Queen, who want him, they're not going to get him unless we're not doing anything, then they can have him. So this sparked a bunch of rumors, because the internet's like... Queen's reuniting. Queen's mm-hmm. coming back. They're going to probably go back to Paul Rogers because they toured with him forever. And so that November, like they hadn't confirmed anything, mm-hmm. but they got booked to close the British Music Awards. And Adam Lambert came with them on vocals. And I feel like this is a theory. This is me just speculating. I feel like they got such a good reception from that 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 was really just their test run. Yeah. They were like, we really like you, kid. Let's do this performance and see how it goes then we can talk about the future and like people loved it the internet was immediately lit up with rumors about this is who queen's gonna tour with next this is da, 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 da. and pretty much that that was what happened yeah um they've been working with adam ever since that day they've gone on multiple tours together uh they are slated for more dates whenever we're allowed to have live shows again i think it's just a european tour i think they finished the north american leg before it happened um I may be wrong. I didn't look that up. I'm just working off memory here. But if you're listening to this and you can go one near you, do it. Book a plane ticket to the UK to see it. I don't care. They're freaking expensive. I sat in the nosebleed seats for like $200 a ticket, but it was worth it. But because they weren't able to do this tour last year, obviously because of the pandemic, the Panini, the Panini, they released a live album with their, um, their Adam Lambert live album Mm -hmm. in October of last year. It's 20 songs roughly of pretty much their set list in order. Uh, It's called Queen plus Adam Lambert live around the world. And the thing I like about it is they went through track by track and like selected their personal highlights throughout all the time that they've toured together. So like some of the songs are from um, the specifically their version of Fat Bottom Girls that they chose was from the night they played in Dallas all the Dallas cheerleaders came out on stage. Um, that was like two nights before I saw them. And I was like, we missed the cheerleaders. <laughs> um, the version that they chose of who wants to live forever is from the night after the pulse club shooting. Oh, it will make you cry. Adam gives a little speech before it. Um, I listened to it the other day. It made me really miss live concerts. Yeah. Um, it is a great collection and it shows how good Adam is. He's not there trying to replace Freddie. We have another Tumblr post I've selected for this moment that says, Adam Lambert is like the stepdad of Queen. He's not trying to replace Freddie, but he's there when you need him. That's true. 
and that is an accurate assessment. There's a documentary I watch. I can't think of the name of it, but it's about Adam Lambert like joining. Queen. The show must go on. Yeah. It annoyed me because between every commercial break, they went, the show must go on. And then they faded every commercial break. And I was like, you guys can stop using the soundbite. But but like Adam Lambert, uh, Adam Lambert, I don't want to use the word successor because it sounds like he's here to replace Freddie. He's the step. But he is the natural choice. Yes. Like there is no one else that could have filled that role correctly. And I feel like I feel like it's poetic justice, though. That Adam, a, a openly gay man, mm-hmm. is f- continuing on the tradition in a way and getting the acceptance that Freddie pioneered for. Yes. Like, even though I think, you know, a lot of reason he lost American Idol was because of it, because people suck. Again, American Idol's rigged we anyway. We suck. But the point is, like, it's that milling of the ground that Freddie was doing yes to get adam lambert and it's just it's just so poetic and th- i think the reason they're they f- found more success with f- with adam as well is he has that showman quality like yes i don't know much about paul rogers i really i really don't care about paul rogers but from what i understand he just he sounded more like freddie but he didn't have that like charisma and oh yeah broadway experience that adam has like even just listening if you go listen to the live album with adam like you can hear the crowd is eating out of his hand. Like, right. They love Adam. And he does these moments where he like in killer queen, he'll flip out a fan and like play yeah. with it over his face. And at one point he's like, I love laying that. out on a motorcycle while he sings. Like he's I ridiculous love it so much. And it's fantastic. And I feel like Freddie just watches and smiles every night. I think so. I would say so. Um, that brings us to like today in history, literally this morning, March 1st, 2020, I woke up and got my second sign from the universe that I chose the right um, the right person. Queen released a mobile game, a first of its kind. It's basically rock band on your phone. You're tapping. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. I'll show That's it to you so after sweet. this. You have these little itty bitty like Brian, Roger, Freddie, yeah. and John. And you go through their history. So, like, each of the levels is... You start at 1974 with Queen 1. And they pick two Aww. songs from Queen 1. And you play them on beginner and advanced mode. And, like, once you pass each mode for the first time, you get a little memory. And it's, like, a little fact. Pretty much all the facts are in this episode. But you get a little fact and a photo. And then when you complete the whole album, you get outfits for your little people. Oh, you I can change their that. outfits. Um, it is free to download. I downloaded it this morning. You get the first level. So you get queen the album queen for free um but you can unlock the whole game for three dollars so i bought the game for three dollars because it's really cute yeah and i love having them in my pocket um so yeah that was weird waking up to that this morning yeah i was like that's very strange timing but it's just how the universe works i found out from brian posting a screenshot of himself in the game (laughs) (laughs) and it's so cute all right, that is all the history, but we got other shit to talk about because uh, there was a movie. There was. Just just a small little movie. So, rumors about this movie started in September 2010. In a BBC interview, Brian May announced that Sasha Baron Cohen... I remember this! ...was going to play Freddy in a... It was going to be an R-rated movie yes. with Sasha Baron Cohen. It, it had a different... It had a different director. I think Sasha may have I, been I directing it. it. Josh, who was supposed to direct the Sasha Baron Cohen Freddie Mercury? 
Brian Singer. But Brian Singer got blacklisted. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so it was supposed to be a whole different movie with Sasha, Bar- Co- Sasha Baron Cohen playing Freddie. I still... I wish we could have just seen a makeup test or something. I, I think cannot he picture could do it. it. I, I can see it because I... Unfortunately, I see his Borat. Borat and then I just shave the hair a little bit so it's more Freddy like so I could see it and I could see it being R-rated but Sasha Baron Cohen keep in mind yeah we think of him from a comedy perspective he also has a lot of drama in his repertoire too that we don't talk about I just don't know how I would have felt about oh I agree it but you know we don't need to worry about it because it didn't happen um the the original announcement got like weird comments because they were like, well, can he sing? You don't need to sing. No one's going to sing like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Obviously, whoever it is, you're going to have to dub them anyway. So that doesn't matter. Um, But it, like I said, it doesn't matter because in July 2013, Sasha, Bar- Sasha Baron Cohen, I don't know why I can't say his name today. He dropped out due to creative differences between not him and the director, but him and Brian and Roger. Oh, that's a big deal. Um, you don't. You don't want to piss them off. You can't make that movie without their blessing. Correct. Um, so then they like screen tested some other people. They like it was a weird shift. Things were really uncertain. No one knew if the movie was going to happen. Like I said, the movie was announced in 2010. They didn't start production with Rami Malek until 2017. Yeah. Um, it's one of those movies that I feel like no one ever knew if it was actually going to happen. Um, but it did, and I think it happened in the best form that it could have. Um, Rami Malek obviously won Best Actor for his portrayal of Freddy, but the film got very mixed reviews. I think a lot of people were holding on to this idea of the Sasha version, where it would have been R-rated and gone to like the really nitty-gritty, deeper, complex themes of Freddy. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get being disappointed with that. But the way I look at it is it did massively well in the box office yeah and it rekindled a fire that many people have for queen but also introduced a whole crew of younger folks to queen so i think it's to be seen as a successful movie yeah also the soundtrack is a greatest hits album within itself correct i listen to that soundtrack all of the time like i listen to the live aid section just when i'm feeling sad makes me happy let's talk about their musical style because I present the argument. Does Queen have a musical style? Because all their songs no. sound different. I would argue no. I would argue they are in the, the vague genre of rock, but they determine what they want to be. That's kind of what what critics say as well. Uh, so they draw inspiration from everyone, from Black Sabbath to Little Richard to Elvis to Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, they leaned heavily on the Beatles as far as like how they wrote songs. Brian May said that they they built their Bible um, based on how the Beatles did their arrangement and production. Uh, the White Album yeah. was pretty much their template for how they wrote songs in the studio. They were also pretty much all obsessed with John Lennon. Uh, they said that he was larger than life, an absolute genius. Even at a very early stage when they were the Beatles, uh, Freddie said, I always preferred John Lennon's things. I don't know why. He just had a certain kind of magic. I agree. Which may or may not be the inspiration behind uh, It's a Kind of Magic. Uh, Brian and Freddie were also influenced heavily by Jimi Hendrix. 
uh, which I can hear more in Brian's playing than Freddie's writing. Uh, but they said that he really had everything that rock and roll, a rock and roll star should have. He's our number one. I'll never stop learning from Jimmy. Uh, Freddie's thesis for his college degree was actually on Jimi Hendrix. Well, if you think about it, I do see Jimmy in Freddie because if you look at Jimmy, Freddie's lyrics, there's a lot of fantasy and that's what Jimi Hendrix did. True. Keep keep in mind, everyone thought Jimmy was just writing about drugs. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. And if you, Go back to like one of his last interviews, Jimi Hendrix interviews. He was already thinking about how rock can be completely different and flip it up on its own head. Like he was already predicting putting orchestra into rock. And here we see the byproduct the of that. The operatic section. The operatic section. But seriously, I think if you think about it, Jimi Hendrix was planning all these things and Queen just picked it up for him. This is true. Uh, but early on, oh, so like I said, uh, Freddie's thesis in college was actually on Jimi Hendrix. And when they were in college, Freddie and Roger ran this like flea market stall in Kensington Market. And they closed it the day that Jimmy died to commemorate his death. Well, that's sad. Because he died in Kensington. Yeah. That's sad. Uh, early on in their career, they were compared to Led Zeppelin a lot. Freddie did not like this comparison. Yeah. They said, we have more in common with Liza Minnelli than Led Zeppelin. Uh, he's right. He's right, though. We're more into the showbiz tradition than the rock and roll tradition, which valid. Uh, and like I said, people have a really hard time nailing down their sound because they don't have like you can listen to a Zeppelin song. I know it's a Zeppelin song. Yeah. Listen to a Green Day song. You know, it's a Green Day song. Two Queen songs do not sound alike. Yeah. Uh, my One of my favorite DJs, Eddie Trunk, described Queen as a hard rock band at the core, but one with a high level of majesty and theatricality that delivers a little something for everyone. Basically, their music style has been associated with everything from progressive rock, symphonic rock, art rock, glam rock, arena rock, heavy metal, operatic pop, psychedelic rock baroque pop and rockabilly (laughs) they kind of cover all the styles um and they have drew influences from things that are not typically associated with rock groups like most rock groups we can hear and say yeah they listen to black sabbath can't you hear the influence yeah queen's listening to opera folk music ragtime gospel disco music um things that aren't normally brought into this genre and now our last last section. I promise. I'm sorry. This is so long. Oh, you're good. Uh, their legacy and influence, which I feel like is one of the most impactful bands we've ever, ever, like not even just that we've covered ever. So in 2002, this is just a short list of their accolades and impact. 2002, Bohemian Rhapsody was voted the UK's favorite hit of all time in a poll conducted by Guinness World Records. December 2018, Bohemian Rhapsody became the most streamed song from the 20th century and the most streamed classic rock song of all time. Jeez. As of 2005, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Queen albums have spent a total of 1,322 weeks. That is 26 years. So that are is they the most successful rock man in history? Because they have to be. We're getting there. Oh, sorry. I that is jump ahead. 26 years. Just two less years than I have been on this earth. So that's only one for me. That they have been on the UK album charts. That's more time than any other act ever. 
They've released a total of 18 number one albums, 18 number one singles, and 10 number one DVDs worldwide, making them one of the best selling music artists ever. I don't think they're the biggest. But who would be the biggest? I can't think of anyone who got close to that. I think it depends on how you measure it. It always depends on how you measure it. Yeah. Are you measuring copies or dollars? Are you measuring... It's like, is Titanic the biggest grossing movie of all time? We'll never know because everyone measures it differently. Yeah. Inflation. Uh, They were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2001. They are the only group in which every member has composed more than one chart-topping single. And all four of them were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2003. Wow. January 2020... 2020 was a big year for Queen. January 2020, they became the first band ever to join Queen Elizabeth II on a British coin. July 2020, they became the third band ever, after the Beatles and Pink Floyd, to be on a series of UK postage stamps issued by the Royal Mail. Queen is the most bootlegged band ever. That's the the title I want. Uh, According to Nick Weymouth, Weymouth? I think that's his name, mm-hmm. who manages the band's website. In 2001, someone did a survey and discovered 12,225 websites dedicated to Queen bootlegs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you're good, you're good. That's how you know you made it. Well, yeah. There are 12,000 sites where people can download your stuff. Rolling Stone ranked Queen at number 52 on the list of 100 greatest artists of all time individually ranking Freddie Mercury as the 18th greatest singer and Brian May as the 26th greatest guitarist. And then I'm going to finish this with a list of bands that have claimed to be influenced by Queen or expressed admiration for them. And they include all genres. Um, I've pared this list down, obviously. Uh, But we'll start with heavy metal. Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Dream Theater, Trivium, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slipknot, and Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Hard Rock, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Van Halen, Motley Crue, The Darkness, Kid Rock, and Foo Fighters. We have Alternative Rock, Nirvana, Radiohead, Muse, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, The Flaming Lips, and The Smashing Pumpkins. Over in the pop rock field, we have The Killers, My Chemical Romance, and Panic at the Disco. And our pop artists, we have Michael Jackson, George Michael, Robbie Williams, Adele, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, and Psy. Well, that's how Lady Gaga got her name, right? Yes, after Radio Gaga. Yeah. So Queen will probably never stop influencing music and how we create music. And I don't think the world will ever stop being obsessed with Queen's music. Um, I fear the day that we lose the three remaining members because they are in their seventies now and not, not as young as they once were. But, uh, queen is probably the biggest band to ever exist and to yeah in the future ever exist. I don't think the way music works now, it doesn't work the way it did right in the seventies and eighties. Oh, there will never be another queen. No, I don't think. And I mean that in both a rock status and in a general no. status too. They were just, I mean, music is so sectored off now and everything is blended that you're never going to get that big pop artist again or that big rock artist again. Like they say Lady Gaga is probably the last Madonna type artist we will ever have. We don't do arena acts anymore. Like we're not. You could. K-pop bands could easily fill an arena. Right. Are they doing it? No. No. 
but we're not we're we're past the age in music where we're gonna have the arena bands because everything and this isn't a bad thing it's just evolution Mm -hmm. everything's being digitized it's so overly saturated the field because we have spotify that's not a bad thing that's actually a good thing but what do we what's the sacrifice in it we're losing a queen we're losing yeah but that's why queen exists to be an example i love queen so there you go Possibly the longest episode we've ever done. Uh, and I only uh, had 11 pages. <laughs> well, mine was only nine and I went to an hour. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a short one next month, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave us a review. Do you like Queen? Do you like leaving reviews? I can't think of a better thing to do than leave a review. A special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group. That's She Will Rock You Podcast fam. Um, you can also follow us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley or at Leah Elizabeth.j. You also can send us an email at She Will Rock You Podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. But always choose an operatic section. <laughs>